Hello and welcome back to another episode of Back in Camp, a hunting hot podcast hosted by myself. I'm Sean Brown, and joining me today is co-host Henry Bowden. Hello. Say hi. Hello. Um, So how's your week been? Oh, my week's been pretty good. Good, good. Anything exciting happened? Get snowed in or... Oh, we got a little bit of snow, but it's it's more cold than snow, so yeah, not not really enjoying that. <laughs> I feel that we got mountains north of us. Finally, got some snow here oh, just yeah. a couple of days ago, which is good because that's what keeps the rivers running in the summer. So <laughs> kind of yeah, need to important. need to get that snowpack. So so yeah, I guess we've got a few things. We're going to be going over this episode, but uh, Henry had some things he wanted to share, so take it away. Well, the first thing I had to share was a little, an interesting little thing I seen on uh, TheMeatEater.com. It was about the Great Squirrel Stampede. And uh, that may sound uh, somewhat far-fetched, but uh, in, in reading the article, it... it it's really it is hard to believe that this is something that really happened, but the more I look at it and the more research I've done into it, it looks like this is something that actually happened. And from what I see, when you hear the word stampede, like, what do you think, Sean? Uh, well, you know, I, I usually think of like a massive herd of buffalo running over everything in their path. Uh, so when you do say squirrel stampede, it it does sound a little far fetched, and I'm sure it's not quite like that. However, squirrels bulldozing houses is the picture I get when you say stampede. Yeah, well, I don't think it was quite like that, but Bummer. according to the article, if you lived in Hamilton County, Indiana, you just celebrated the 200th anniversary of the Great Squirrel Stampede, 1822. In the fall of that year, a swarm of squirrels descended from the woods and ate everything in sight, the article reads. The number of squirrels could not be estimated, but according to one eyewitness they reported that reportedly killed 248 squirrels in three days. So Not, not bad numbers there, really. No, no almost, 200, almost 250 squirrels, that's not bad. That's a lot. That that's a good amount of moccasins or whatever you do with squirrel hides. Yeah, I'm not sure it, what you do. I'm not sure what you do with that many squirrel hides. I guess you eat them, like yeah, North Carolina, yeah. right? <laughs> probably. Or Indiana, um, sorry. Yeah, yeah, Indiana, and probably. Yeah. I've had squirrel once. It was it was actually pretty good. Didn't yeah, hate it. it. I've had it once. It's, it, I mean, it tastes about like you'd expect squirrel to taste like. But yep. I like. I also didn't really season mine. I didn't really do anything special with it. It was just fried. Yeah. So. No, I mean, again, not something you know I'd really go for on a Saturday afternoon or something. But you know, no. it, it. I can now say I've had squirrel. So. Yeah. Worth well, that at least. All right. So the second thing I had to talk about was. The reopening of the Num Jaw or Simpson Lodge in Banff National Park. So, at first, I thought I'd give a little history of the, the Num Jaw Lodge. Um, 
It was initially built in 1920 as a hunting lodge by the legendary uh, guide and outfitter Jimmy Simpson. Um, and I'll, I'll give a little background on Jimmy Simpson, too. Uh, he was a, a mountaineer and an explorer and a guide during the early years of exploration uh, in the Canadian Rockies. Um, he started his career working as a cook for Tom Wilson in his camps, and then later went on to learn to guide from Bill Pato. Um, in 1902, while working for Pato, he was uh, tasked with guiding an expedition to the headwaters in the North Saskatchewan River. So if you are unfamiliar with, with Alberta and, and Canadian geography, the North Saskatchewan River runs... Uh, is the, the, the river that runs through Edmonton, one of them, uh, runs all the way across Alberta. It's, it's a pretty big stream. Um, anyways, he was tasked with guiding an expedition to the headwaters of North Saskatchewan, which was, which was a pretty big deal at the time, because um, as it had never been explored up to that point. Uh, he continued guiding until the end of World War II when his son Jimmy Jr. took over the business. So that's, that was uh, Jimmy Simpson. That's a little bit of backstory on him. Um, located in the northern tip of Maff National Park, the lodge offers a stunning view of the surrounding turquoise, surrounding mountains and the turquoise blue water of Bow Lake. Construction was started in 1920. The lodge opened in 1922. So yeah, this year would be the 100th anniversary of it, which is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. uh, initially, it operated as a hunting lodge, as I said, uh, with hunts for moose, grizzly bears, goats, bighorn sheep, and elk. Uh, however, due to the legislation changes that were being brought on by Parks Canada at the time, uh, making hunting illegal within the national park, um, operations uh, like guiding and outfitting operations uh, concluded very shortly after they began. Um, but it wasn't very long before uh, it was... I, 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 this is where I can't figure it out, whether it was opened again by Jimmy Simpson if it was opened by somebody else as a tourist lodge, which it has operated as ever since. Um, currently, the lodge is closed. Uh, it's been closed for the 2022 season. It should reopen in 2023. Big grand reopening, so uh, if any of our listeners are in the Banff area and want to check that out, it might be worth going and taking a look at in 2023. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah, another place I would I would love to go at some point, you know, Banff. Um, you know, definitely get a, a top five on the bucket list. I'd say at this point for for places to visit for me. But just thinking about Jimmy Simpson and it's just a fascinating stories from from those guys and their exploration efforts. Oh yeah, totally. In those times it, it makes you want to. It's you know, in some senses, it really just makes me wish i could do that you know go to a place that hadn't been explored yet have a good old time but i i'm sure it wasn't as good old time as it seems now because that's how no, nostalgia yeah. works or whatever <laughs> yeah it was probably a pretty tough time but yeah uh, it's still yeah it's still cool to think about and yeah. Bath is definitely a, a place that is it's it's yeah it's hard to describe yeah. Have you, have you been there? I've never been there personally, but I really like to go and, and living oh. closer to it now than I did before. It's, it's more of an option. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You'll have so. to do that at some point. Maybe I can make the drive. 
of like I think it's I don't know how far it is from it, but it's a ways. But yeah, probably probably two days, three days. Actually, now you've got me curious. I'm gonna have to check how far Bandit is from me, just to see. Fire up the Google machine. Yeah, you gotta fire up Google here and type in the address. Uh, I'm just gonna type in Banff. I have no clue the address. Hit directions from my location. Oh, it's not set. No, I don't. I don't have home saved on this computer, so I'll just type in the town I'm living in. Don't put me close enough. And we will see. Give it a second to load. Yep, 21 hours, it's saying. So, that's not bad. Quite as bad as I thought it could be because it is, I mean, it's fairly south in Alberta, it looks like. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I can't remember. Not too far north. Looks like at least I should have looked closer. Two thirds of the way south. Yeah. Maybe a little more. It's not bad. May have to may have to make the drive up sometime, and we can we can check out the uh and that the num no I'm not even gonna try the Simpson Lodge. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe not, not yeah. even gonna attempt that. I'm bad at at words and stuff, as as you probably know. Yeah, pronunciation is is not not my strong point, but you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but I do do apologize to, to the listeners. Um, this as this week's episode has been pushed back a little bit. I was out hunting elk last weekend. Uh, left day after Thanksgiving and got back Monday, so it was real busy and wasn't able to record when we normally do. So had to push it back a little bit. But we are planning to do a Tuesday release on Tuesdays. Um. So hopefully we'll get back on that schedule here moving forward. But yeah, and, yeah, and hopefully next week Mason will be on with us. Hope so. It seems like it sounded like a word for him. So that's what we're planning for. Should have all three of us again. Um, not sure what what we'll find to talk about, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there, I suppose. We'll make her happen. Yeah. Oh yeah. So how did your hunt go? Oh, it went well. Um, was unsuccessful, unfortunately. It was just a cow hunt for elk. Um, it's it's a tag that you can get as a youth hunter in New Mexico, resident youth hunter, if you don't draw any big game species tags. It yeah. is first come, first serve. So my brother, my older brother, he's drawn it a bunch of times. Killed a number of elk. It's just cows hunt, cow hunts in this one unit. Um, and it's first come for a serve. I was going to try and get that unit because we have it figured out. We know where to go, know where to find the elk. However, they sold out so insanely quick. I had to grab a different tank for a different unit that we hadn't hunted before. So, yeah, it was kind of a thing of kind of just lost trying to learn a new area. Yeah. <clears throat> but, you know, I had a good time. And, and I was saying while we were out there, you know. May not be having a lot of success right now, but it sure beats whatever else I'd be doing. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, still good to get out. And there's quite a bit of snow. So I think what happened is where that unit is, once the snow starts to hit and the temperatures drop, the elk move down into units that are lower. 
and we got got early snow up there this year and i think it just it moved most of the elk right out of there so yeah, that makes sense it, that's what makes it it makes it tough because you know with elk being a herd animal when they move most of them move yeah. You know, especially with a cow hunt, with a bull hunt, you know, we came across a couple of solo tracks way back in the middle of nowhere, but you know, that's almost got to be bulls held up after the rut's over. So, you know, really no point in chasing them when you're on a cow hunt looking for, for the herds of them. Cause, yeah. Yeah. I, so what elevation were you, is that unit like 10, 11,000 feet? The highest it's at is 10. Um, oh, yeah. On the way eastern point, it's down to five. However, that's all either tribal or private for the most part, and desert, mm. and not like the kind of desert elk are in, just, just desert, 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 kind yeah. of almost grasslands-ish, so not really where the elk are. So, I mean, where you're finding elk at the lower elevations would be around six, 7,000. However, that was, that was like a... It was a far drive away from where we were originally at, and just with the four days we had, we didn't have time to get over there. I mean, we covered yeah. where we were. It was around eight to nine. Um, didn't even go up to ten because there was hardly any tracks, any sign at nine thousand feet. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the first day, we put in one hundred and fifty miles in the truck on Forest Service roads, <laughs> just looking Holy for sign. God. Because, I mean, that's the name of the game with elk, you know, find the sign. Yeah, you just got to cover as much ground as possible. Cover the ground and find where they are. If they aren't there, there's no point in hunting it, right? But yeah, we found a few spots um, that were somewhat good. It was, and, and I think what it was, we found a lot of sign from like a week, you know, a week prior before, right when it was starting to drop and the snow would have hit. So, you know. It just seemed like most of the elk had moved out by then. Opening morning, we were driving in, and we waited till first light because we didn't know the area, and we drove right up on them. Mm. And I almost had a shot, but it was it was just barely legal light, and I didn't want to shoot a spike thinking it was a cow, so I didn't no. take the shot. I, I mean, it was offhand at, like, 120. Uh, so you know, shaking too much to be completely sure. So I didn't, I didn't take the shot. And then after that, we only saw him once more, and that was coming down after after shooting light was over. So mm. it was a bit of a struggle. The other thing was this unit where we're hunting national forest, and this unit used to be logged, which mm. means there is roads. Where we were, you could not get more than half a mile from a road in, like, 90% of the area. I mean, there's roads everywhere. And because it's a cow hunt, and because not only was this the tag I had, the hunt going on, but another another hunt, just a normal cow hunt that was a draw, was going on. So there's people yeah. driving everywhere. You're getting driven over no matter where you are. There's lots of pressure in that yeah. unit. Yeah, it gets really frustrating because you're out out of your vehicle trying to trying to make a play on them early in the morning or at last light, and there's just, I mean, the one the one evening I was sitting trying to predict where they were going to come down, headed onto fields on a private, because that seemed to be what they were doing, and yeah. I had I saw fifteen vehicles drive down roads. 
I didn't know were there until I saw the people driving them don't show on the GPS, you know. So it's like, yeah, even if you do get out of your vehicle, there's just some other road hunter who's going to drive it anyways. So, <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, that's kind of a downer. It's, it's, it's a bit tough, but no better now where what not to do in that unit if if um if the weather turns cold sooner than usual probably could have found him had we had a little more time and we could have moved to a different side of the unit but yeah oh well i guess oh, well, shoulda woulda coulda yeah it's always the way it is with him right if you aren't successful if you are successful it's like yep yeah, you know we knew what they were doing we did it right everything went well if you aren't successful, it's like, should have done this, we could have done this, would have done this, you know. All the should have, would have, could have that, that you run into. With oh, yeah, it, totally. But, you know, yeah. like, like I was saying, still still really good to get out, do a little walking. Definitely. So when you guys go out, do you spike cap out in the... We actually have a camper field? we oh, yeah. use now. It just got it, I guess, two years ago, which... Um, is super nice. Fun, fun fact about that: the battery went dead. Um, on the last night, about halfway through the night, and we were out of heat, which isn't good because then everything will freeze. It was fine, yeah. thankfully, but they kind of they kind of made sure we went home at the end of the day because yeah, the battery died. Not sure why, but but yeah, it is. It's super nice to to have that. Um, it feels kind of like cheating. However, you know, I'm not afraid to to do a tent tent camp again when we're out. When we're yeah, out. I will. I wouldn't call it cheating. It's it's. I mean, every time you go out hunting and when you're out in the when you're out, I think that's what matters. It doesn't matter how yeah, you exactly. get out or or what what facilitates that. If you if you're if it keeps you comfortable to the point where you're out for a third or a fourth day. That's all that matters, right? Just yeah. Keeping feet on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, with a tent, you have a sleeping bag and a sleeping mat. I mean, here you have you have a full bed. You yeah. have a stove. You have a heater. You have a fridge rather than a cooler. You're trying to keep all the ice from melting. And my first yeah. Barbary hunt was out of a tent. Um, we took a big cooler, and it was it was I think we were down there five days, five nights. And, yeah. you know, it was really fun. It was a really good time. One of my favorite hunts for sure. You know, but it's cold in the morning and with the tent and you, you can't cook inside. You got to get out and it's windy and yeah. stuff. And it's like, you really don't miss it. I mean, you do it no. again if that was the only option. But you definitely don't miss sleeping in a tent. Because no. the, the wind and the rain isn't as loud either, if that's an issue, you know. Get some better rest. Yeah. And you wake up and crawl out of your bed and it's 65 and not 35, so. Yeah. You, you feel like crawling out of your sleeping bag and putting your pants on in the morning rather than just saying, I'll wait another hour. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Which with with you going to do whatever you are with uh, with the outfitters, what are you? I mean, when you're out there, are you? Do you have like gammons you build of sorts or shacks where you where you take people, or do you do it out of tents? 
Well, and depends I mean, like, it, I guess it depends on the hunt and it depends on the outfitter. Like, I don't I have a terrible amount of experience with it, so I can't, I can't, like, I'm kind of just talking out my butt here. Yes, no, it's um, fine. I was just curious. But, uh, oh, I do, I know a little bit. Like, it, it, I think it varies from outfitter to outfitter how well they're set up, how long mm. they've been in an area, um, how successful the area is. I know that they're, there's outfitters that could have 20 or 30 cabins wow. in a unit. Uh, and and they, they just have to spike camp out from those cabins. They'll fly in or, or horseback or, or ride in, and, and, and away they go from there. Um, and then I know there's other outfits that are strictly fly-in. Uh, they'll operate from a lodge or base camp and then fly wherever they go and tent camp wherever they go. Um, so, it, yeah, it varies. I mean... I'm not. I'm not worried at all. I don't care if I have to sleep in a tent all summer. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Is it, what? Because what all does the the outfitter you're working with, and you don't have to say them by name or anything. Just what what animals can you go after with them? Uh, actually, I recorded their hunts. Here, I'll just pull it up. Ooh. I can tell you exactly what they go for. Came much more prepared than I did. <laughs> to be fair, I, I again I was out hunting and I had to catch up on you know school and getting back to work and so on and so forth. But yeah, well, I mean that's what really matters, right? That's kind of the priority at this point. Yeah. You know? Let's see. There we go. So, it looks like they do moose, doll sheep, wolves, wolverine, lynx in the wintertime, mm-hmm. and uh, caribou. That looks like about it. Yeah, yeah. With these caribou, like, you're hunting them, like, out in the... I guess, was it barren ground or whatever it's called? Or is this more mountainous terrain? I'm uh, just curious. I don't know how, I don't know where you're at. So I wasn't well, sure what kind of caribou hunting you're doing. Well, where I'm going to work uh, is in the Mackenzie Mountains. Um, okay. So they'd be, they're, they're mountain caribou. Okay, yeah. Um, I should and, just uh, look up and find out where the Mackenzie Mountains are so I don't sound... <laughs> Like what? North, what's the north? North. That's all you got to worry yeah, about. They're north. north, right? It's it sounds it sounds north. There's just something about that name that sounds north. What's yeah. the like on doll sheep hunts? What's your elevation at up in there oh, where you'd be hunting them? I'm not even sure. I know when I went to the Yukon, um, we were anywhere from seven thousand feet to. At five to seven thousand feet yep. is about where okay. they were, but but it, it I guess it really depends on where you are and what yeah. kind of terrain you're looking at. Like if uh-huh. you're you're high alpine and they and there's there's food available for them, they could be up at eight nine thousand feet kind of thing. Yeah. Um. But the like the terrain is a lot different. It's not like New Mexico down where you are, where oh yeah, like no, you I'm get sure. elevated plateaus at seven thousand feet. Mm-hmm. And nine thousand feet, it's like jagged peaks at 
at yeah. six and seven thousand feet here. It's yeah. Exactly. That's that's what's like different to me because you think you see these watching hunting videos of dog sheep hunts or stone sheep hunts or whatever until these really jagged peaks and plateaus and whatnot. But it's only at like seven, nine, you know, ten thousand feet in a lot of the places. Because yeah. like down here where I'm at is six thousand feet. Where I'm hunting, you know, is up to ten thousand feet. Yeah. Um, the mountain we have, or not the mountain, the cabin we have up in uh, Colorado, family is a cabin. Uh, the mountain that that's on is 13,000 feet. You know, there's 14ers in yeah. Colorado. So it's like the peaks are just is jagged, yet they're so much lower, it, it, which, you know. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's higher, but the terrain itself is different. Like you're, you're, yeah, exactly. The entire state is at a higher elevation than, than what you'd see in, in the Mackenzie Mountains. Like it's, it's high above the ground. Yeah, or it's high above sea level, but it's 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 a different it's a different kind of terrain, right? Yeah, yeah, and and that goes with being so much further north too. You completely change a lot of aspects with that. Oh, totally. I mean, in the like peak of summer, how many hours of daylight did you have where you were up in the Northwest Territories? Oh, where where I used to live on the Great Slave Lake. Um, we we get twenty four hour daylight like in mid July really? the sun wouldn't set no okay you, it wouldn't set could, at all could, I wasn't sure well it would it would kind of like well go down below the horizon yeah but, but never you still had a light yeah you can work all night if you wanted to yeah and and not have to turn on flashlights so that's it's it, that's nice I like that it, yeah late oh, nights it's fun for camping and and stuff like that uh the, it's like i want to go up there in the summer but at the same time i gotta go up there at some other time of year because one thing i gotta do is see the the northern lights or the aurora borealis whatever whatever you call them oh um, yeah uh late uh i shouldn't even say late september mid-september to late september that's he, when to see him that's when to see him everybody says come in the winter time come in the winter time well uh, yeah you see him in the winter time because it's dark all the time right yeah but uh and it's clear, but I really like them late September because you get the shorter days, so it actually gets dark. Yeah. But you still have nice enough weather that you can camp and you can go hunting and you can go fishing and go canoeing and stuff like that. And enjoy exactly. and enjoy being out, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, because like what with the um, train of thought uh, with the 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 lights um. I mean, how frequent, like, can you see it pretty much on every clear night during? Yeah. Really, it, yeah. Like, during peak times, like right now, up in Yellowknife, you'll see mm-hmm. him every night if really? it's clear. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And they'll be bright, 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 bright. Yeah. So. Really yeah. making me, really making me want to go now. <laughs> it's worth pull the trip, me. man. Yeah, if only I had the funds right now, someday. Some damn we go, and uh, it will definitely be worth the trip. <laughs> Make it yeah. Maybe I'll come up and uh, visit you as a guide. Uh, maybe tip you, and maybe um, <laughs> you show me where the doll shoot. No, yeah. I'll, I'll pay you too. But you know, uh, you you give me the the uh, the friends and family discount, and I get you a new pair of binoculars. Uh, preferably, I kill a doll sheep, and we call it even. You know. Yeah, it's a win-win all the way around. Seems like it. Yeah. yeah. 
that's probably the biggest biggest dream hunt at this point so you know yeah i, I want to dive into dream hunts too much i want to do that when mason's here but yeah oh yeah someday someday yeah it's it's definitely a it's a bucket list for sure bucket list hunt that's what's that's what's uh like i want to say i don't know how to say it but like with where you are, like it's kind of like the bucket list thing to be doing for myself and so many other people. And then, and then I actually know someone who's up there living the life and probably is not nearly as glamorous to him as we want to make it seem for the rest of us who don't experience it. But <laughs> yeah, well, just kind I think of that, a neat thing. Yeah, that kind of, I think that applies for everybody. Like, I mean, I think it's insane the stuff that you and Mason go and do too with mule deer hunting and elk hunting and we're being on those high alpine regions in New Mexico and, and yep. the hunting that Mason does in, in southern Alberta. I think it's, I think that's crazy stuff too. And uh, I'd love to come do that stuff too someday. I was going to say, it's a lot more affordable for you to, to come down here and hunt without an outfitter. Uh, than it is for me to go up there and have to hunt with an outfitter. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Just saying, yeah. Oh, totally. Um, well, the crazy thing is I was looking at, at hunt prices. Um, I was looking mm -hmm. at the, I can't remember what, I think it was the Wild Sheep Foundation auction yep. I was looking at. And there was a, a Barbary sheep hunt that went in Texas, I believe, and it went for $7,000. And I was like, how is that, like, that hunt is a dream hunt for me to go hunt Barbary sheep or, really? or Odd Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and it's $7,000 to go do it, but lots of people, like, have the dream to go hunt doll or stone sheep. And those mm -hmm. hunts are fifty, sixty thousand $60,000. I think, I, I shouldn't say that, I think doll sheep is $30,000. But I mean, that's not the tag, though. That's the requirement to have an outfitter is what's getting yeah. you there. Yeah, well, and then there's a harvest fee on top of that. So yeah, exactly. I can't remember what the tag fees are for for dull sheep in the Northwest Territories. I think it's I I can't even make a guess on it. I'd have to look it up. I gotta check something here because you know you're saying Barbary sheep, which me personally, I think when it comes down to just the sheep ignoring the the exclusivity of the hunt you know the price the location of the hunt i think barbary sheep are the coolest looking sheep they just with their i guess called chaps on the front on the yeah on the billies or not billies uh, rams um it's just they're just so cool to me and part of that is i've hunted them twice actually yeah um and i'm trying to find the price here of the the things i'm struggling to pull it up here okay so since since i've done it as a youth and as a resident to hunt barbary or Alden, which by the way in new mexico they're free range and they, they've been hit pretty hard there's a lot of hunts so it's not it's very far from a guarantee of a hunt if you want really good chances of shooting in barbary texas is, is probably your best um, bet, but you know, you can still find them and harvest them and harvest big Barbary in New Mexico. It's just, it is a tough hunt. It's one of the tougher hunts in the state, but I'm not finding the, the youth prices here, but 
the price for a Barbary sheep license as a resident, and even as a non-resident, you don't need a guide. It's one ten for me, um, and three seventy three for a non-resident. Um, and I've drawn it twice, so yeah, which is pretty wacky. The draws aren't aren't easy, but it's it's a blast, and it's a completely different thing from doll sheep or bighorn sheep. You're you're hunting yeah. in the desert in some of the nastiest terrain you'll find in the state where there yeah. where nothing grows. I mean, we're we're out here when we were hunting most of the time is places where there's hardly any mule deer or coyotes. And if you're scaring off mule deer and coyotes, you're doing something. Um I'm not sure right or wrong, but it's, you're some it's pretty, pretty desolate pretty tough terrain, yeah. Yeah, pretty sparsely sparse vegetation not a lot of water pretty tough stuff well and that's i think what's most attractive to me about it is it's just it's it's a different kind of hunting right it's exactly in high high desert and and rough terrain and hot weather and it's just it's very different from what i'm used to um yeah, and, and and even doll sheep hunting in in the Mackenzie Mountains is something that's so different from what I'm used to. It's it's going to be a blast. I'm looking forward to it. Good, good. And uh, on the cost of doll sheep tags in the Northwest Territories, Phil, for me, like with my my general hunting license, it's it's I I don't pay a fee on it. Yep. Um, for a resident, it's twenty two dollars for tag fee. Uh, <laughs> for a non-resident. Yeah, for a non-resident, it's uh, $44. So a non-resident would be somebody who's from out of province. So like if I, well, me now living in Alberta, if I didn't have my GHL, I would yep. be considered a non-resident. I would have to pay a $44 tag fee. Yep. Um, For a non-resident alien, which is what you would be living in the United States, yep, it's, $110, a yeah, it's $110 tag fee with a $440 harvest fee. So five hundred and forty bucks or five hundred and fifty bucks. Yeah, but except yeah. here's the the asterisk after that price, a guide is required. A guide is required. Yeah. Is a guide required for non-resident as well? A guide is required for a non-resident and a resident, I believe. Oh, and resident, really? And a, well, that's where it gets. That's where I don't quite understand. Uh, that's odd. It is somewhat odd. Going back real quick to the Barbary hunt thing, you're talking about the hot temperatures. Um, that that is the thing is the temperature swing you get in the desert. I mean, on a Barbary hunt, one day we saw, I think eighty two, and then at night we saw like low twenties. Yeah, see, that's pretty warm to pretty friggin' cold. Yeah, I mean it's not like super cold temperatures, but just the the swing from and that wasn't eighty two that day, twenty two that night. It was yeah. across like a five day period, but still in a week you're getting this swing and then we'll do the same thing again the next week. It's it's yeah. just another aspect of it. It's different. If you found if it was for for resident as well or So do you need an outfitter? Non-residents and non-resident aliens require an outfitter to hunt big game, but not small game. Outfitters provide licensed guides for the hunters they serve. For information on outfitters in the Northwest Territories, contact NWT Tourism. 
Yeah. I was just looking at the same thing we found it at the same time. But yeah. So a resident doesn't need a license to hunt. Or doesn't need a, an outfitter to hunt. Yeah. Which would being... make sense. Because like, anything in the lower 40, in Western MD, in the lower 48 of the U.S., you're, I'm pretty sure you're not going to need a guy. Maybe you do as a non-resident alien. As a non-resident, you don't. But then yeah. you get north of that and you're hunting, you know, anything, it seems. And got to have a guide. And, and then, you know, your price goes from not too bad to now it's now it's something you, you really have to, to plan and budget for. <laughs> and just the, the cost of getting there also, you know, and all of that. If you're coming from a way on the price we pay to beat ourselves up and go after an animal, right? Yeah, I guess. And I mean, I know in BC, there's a uh, a system that you can go through to become like a, a hunter mentor or a, a hunting partner. Okay. Which I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what it is. And, and anybody who's listening, correct me if I'm wrong, feel free to comment or write in. Um, I believe you go through this system you file all the paperwork and after you you do this you can take one person a year with one tag hunting in british columbia for whatever species doesn't matter if you're a resident of bc you know don't know if there's something there's something similar to that in alberta here i was just gonna touch on that because i looked at it and i don't remember exactly but i looked at it with uh with mason who's also in alberta talking to him about big one hunting if i were to try it up there and it's it's the same idea where if you do the thing and get a license and it costs you some two for the license and for the hunt once yeah. per year you can take a person hunting yeah who's and I think, you know i think the bc system is very similar i just i don't know if there's anything like that in the northwest territories yeah yeah the other thing too you could always do is just go hunting and not like, like, just come hunting and tag along and hang out and camp and yeah, and, and shoot the shit. And you can go small game hunting, no problem. Like you shoot grouse exactly. and you shoot rabbits and all sorts of stuff and have a grand old time. But if, as long as you're not pulling the trigger, you're 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 all set. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and sometimes you know a lot of the time the animal isn't even the best part of the the hunting trip. So. No, it's the whole the whole experience, right? It's the whole experience and the, the overused quote. Maybe it's the memories we make along the way, or something to that tune, it, which yeah. is which is what it is. But yeah, but yeah, no, that would be that'd be another thing. It sounds like you're really trying to get me up there now. Oh, well, I got lots of people that are trying to come oh. up here. I got you, and I got Mason, and I got Nick. Yeah. Yeah. All kinds of people. All Not to mention the, the people who probably have lined up who aren't um, on Discord here. Well, I haven't met too many of them yet. Oh, okay. No. We'll, have, we'll have to get get on that here. That's why we're doing this. Recruitment, yeah. recruitment, <laughs> recruitment. Yeah. I start. want you for Doll Sheet Season <laughs> 2023. We're going to put, yeah. what's the Canadian version of Uncle Sam? Right, we'll God, just use your face. Know. We'll just get you to pose doing the Uncle Sam point thing. I want yeah. you for, for this. 
we'll yeah. start throwing it out on the socials, which, by the way, uh, back in camp, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, uh, all major podcast platforms, and then we have a Discord server as well. There's should be a link to that in the bios on said socials. So check that yeah. out if you would like. Um, the the Discord server would be the best place to to reach any of us here. So um, if you are interested in doing that, um, at least I, I don't know about about Mason and Henry, but if if you do show up and and start asking questions, why did you say this? Why didn't you mention this? Um, I'll be there to answer. So yeah, and the rest of us will just deny everything and say it was exactly. all Sean's fault. It, that's that's usually what happens. That's the risk you take when you when you say you're in charge of things, I guess. But. Yeah. Well, on that note, we got any closing thoughts? I I th- I think that was my closing thoughts, actually. So, hmm? do you have anything left to say? I got nothing. Well, no. stay safe. Yeah, stay safe. Have- stay warm as the winter season approaches, at least for the people yeah. in the northern hemisphere and. Yeah. Good luck. Sh- Good luck to any of you in the final days of your hunting seasons. Yes, sir. And we will see you next week. <laughs>